the children all the way up to sixth grade would be dismissed at this time for children's church. And as we would uh, gather together, a reminder for the parents and uh, grandparents, those who'd be picking up children, uh, pick them up down in the fellowship hall, and then the picnic time after. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it to the book of Isaiah. If you find the book of Psalms, about midway through, uh, make your way back. Uh, you'll come to Proverbs, and then after a Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah, to Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, this morning, we're going to begin a series called Abide in Me. Um, this whole idea, I believe, one of the things that the Lord is doing and wants us to be able to, to settle our hearts in and settle our lives in is the fact that He has already done the work this morning and that He delights in us, apart from anything that we've done and anything we can contribute to His work, that He delights in us first and foremost because He says, you are mine, you belong to me. Um, then, and then we will be looking in this whole idea of fruit-bearing and what it means to bear fruit and abide in Jesus from John chapter 15 over these next weeks. So that it's not about us, it's not about my earning, deserving, doing, striving, working, all those things. But learning just to abide in him so that fruit will come. Just as branches bear fruit because of their abiding in the vine. So we'll be looking at that over the next weeks, but today, uh, starting with this theme and this idea of the garden of his delight. So if we can pull up the, the first slide there, um, the garden of his delight. Sermon notes are in your bulletin. I invite you to fill them out if you're uh, a f- blank filler. Enjoy yourself doing that this morning. If not, cast them aside. Do whatever you want. So growing up, I have great memories of uh, gardening as a kid, not because my family had a garden at uh, our house, but because my grandparents were very much into gardening. My grandparents on my dad's side, my dad's parents. And at their house, they had this kind of decent-sized garden in the back of the yard, and uh, they would work in there, and it provided an ample supply of vegetables for the year. You'd go down into their basement, and there'd be in the winter cans upon cans upon cans, because they would can everything that they grew, and, and uh, it would supply uh, many, many people for the year to come. But outside of that garden at their house, they had, outside of a town, they had a, about a one-and-a-half or two-acre plot of land where they had a garden there. And they would work that garden, and they just enjoyed it. And, and one of the things I remember growing up, and there's a painting uh, that's in our family of everybody at that piece of property, uh, the whole family, the, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, and all of the grandkids, all around in this garden, this huge garden, working it together. That's one of the things I remember growing up, is there would be those days where we would all gather at that piece of property outside of town, and we would just work it. And now I was like five or six, so you can imagine the kind of work that I was doing. But I had great memories of being there and being together, and then getting those vegetables and coming back to my grandparents' house and having my grandmother prepare this huge spread in our whole family, having these meals together, enjoying the fruits of my grandparents' labor. There were great times. 
And so over these next couple of weeks, we're going to be exploring John 15. And we're going to be exploring Jesus' call for us to abide in him. Because it's where life is found, and it's how we are able to do mission. Not by working hard and striving and trying really hard, but by learning to abide in Jesus. But today, before we get into that too much, we want to look at the Lord first. And we want to look at his delight in his garden. You'll see why I'm using this language this morning. His delight in his garden and our response to him especially as we come to celebrate communion this morning. So, here's where we start. Before we get to the fruit bearing, we get to behold, first and foremost, the Father and Jesus. Because the Father and Jesus are the focus. The Father and Jesus, they're the focus. In John chapter 15, verse 1 It begins and it says, Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, I have to confess, I've read and studied John 15 a lot in my lifetime. And one of the things that I have to confess and it really convicted me as I prepared for this message is how often I jump to the pruning and the fruit bearing and the abiding and the, all the things that come out. And I, I, I skip over verse 1. Because what I want to do is I want to accomplish something. Anybody with me? You want to see something come out. You want to see something happen. You want to be on mission. You want to see change. You want to see all of these things. And so I jump to how do I get fruit? How do I abide? What does fruit look like? All these kinds of things. And verse 1, without verse 1, the rest of chapter 15 is a disaster. Because if we don't get verse 1, then the rest of it becomes me trying to do it, and when I try to do it, it gets ugly. See, the focus begins with the true vine and the gardener. The Father and Jesus are the focus. The Father is the gardener. John 15 focuses on our fruit bearing, but fruit bearing cannot happen without the gardener. Verse 1 cannot, should not be ignored because fruit does not come without the gardener. The Father is the gardener. And Jesus, Jesus is the true vine. Fruit bearing cannot happen. Life cannot come apart from the vine. Verse 1 is critical to know where life and fruit comes from. It comes from the true vine. It comes from Jesus, the one who said, I am the true vine, which for Jesus' followers, for Jesus' disciples in those days, it would have been this huge statement because he was saying, I am, I am God, the true vine, God in the flesh. As Joel a couple weeks ago shared, Jesus is the focus. And in this passage, the Father and Jesus are the focus. So that if we focus on the fruit without keeping the source, the main focus will miss the great joy of the passage. 
and we can actually seek to use God for our own ends. Anybody ever find yourself doing that? God, I need you to do this. And we seek God for what he can do for us rather than seeking God for him. That's why verse 1 is so important, that we remember that the focus is the Father and the focus is Jesus. So that abiding in Christ, glorifying the Father, being filled with the life of God by the Holy Spirit, that all of that can happen, but it can happen, and it happens when God and the person of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when Father and Jesus are the focus. And so as we go through these next weeks together, uh, for myself and for all of us, may we, may we be like, like a horse with blinders on. <laughs> You know, all the fruit bearing, all those kinds of things, looking all these, oh, we, God, we need you to do this, we need you to do that, we need you to... And he's saying, no, just put the blinders on, keep the focus on me. I'm the, gar- I'm the gardener, keep the focus on the Son, Jesus, the true vine, and, and watch what I'll do. Watch what I'll do. The Father and Jesus are the focus. Let's make sure we get that together. As we get that concept and hold dear to that, here's the encouragement this morning, that the Father delights in his garden. The Father delights in his garden. If you're in Isaiah chapter 5, I invite you to follow along. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah is writing, and he says, I will. And so Isaiah is the one listening to the Lord Speaking this, writing this, he says, I will sing for the one I love, for the Father. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. And here's the song that he sings on behalf of God. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And listen to verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. The father delights in his garden. You know, the real gardeners, the real gardeners are people like my grandparents. The real gardeners are people that I've talked to, the ones who are really into gardening, the ones who really get it. Those people will tell you that gardening is not only about the vegetables and the fruit that comes from it. 
Sure, the fruit that comes, the vegetables that come, if they can, all the vegetables, all the things that they get to eat throughout the winter, all that is wonderful and great. It's nice, but it's not the focus for true gardeners. True gardeners find delight in gardening. True gardeners find delight in gardening. They find delight in being outside. They find delight in getting their hands dirty in the dirt. They find delight in those pesky weeds and pulling them out. (laughs) They find delight in just simply doing the act of gardening. They're the ones who don't give up when there's been too much rain or not enough. And it's not a good year. Why? Because they delight in the act of gardening. They delight in their garden. And the fruits and the vegetables that come, that just makes it even better. They delight in it. Gardening brings them delight. And in this passage, we see the father delighting in his garden and in the work of gardening. He delights in it. He delights in it in three ways. He delights in it first in its creation. In verses 1 and 2, in the first half it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside, dug it up, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest of vines, building a watchtower in it and cutting a wine press out as well. Isaiah sings this song about the Father because he loves the Father. He sings it about his vineyard, about his garden. And understanding that in ancient Israel, as in today, vineyards would be planted on the sides of hills, uh, on the sides of hills, on hillsides. And they would be carefully created, carefully cultivated. They would take the stones out and make sure that the land was free of the big boulders that were there. And making it fertile, fertile ground, finding those fertile places. They would build watchtowers overlooking their vineyard because they didn't want those pesky animals to come and to destroy their crops. And even more, they didn't want people and thieves to break in and take their hard-earned work and to break into their garden that they delighted in so much. And they built it with expectation. They would build wine presses in it, expecting that there was going to be fruit that was going to come from it. And we find that this is not just this allegory, this metaphor is not just some vineyard out in the middle of Israel, the middle of the promised land, but it is actually a picture of Israel and a picture of Judah. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, verse 7, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. The father delights in his garden. He delights in its creation. He delights in his garden even despite its failures. He delights in his garden even despite its failures. It's pretty clear. The rest of verse 3, he looks for a crop of good grapes, but it yields only bad fruit. Israel failed to produce good fruit. No matter what the Lord did, it's what verses, verses five, or 3 and 4 say, judge between me and my vineyard. 
What more could I have done? The Lord, if you read all throughout the history of Israel, the history of Judah, you will find that the Lord is patient. He endures with them. He, he, does, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to remind them, come to me, come back to me. I am your lover. I am your father. I am, I am the gardener of your vineyard. I planted you for me. You belong to me. I've delivered you. I love you. I've cared for you. I'm compassionate. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm for you. And time after time after time, he would send his messengers to them. I'm here for you. Come back to me. Before we start saying, oh, look what Israel did. Let's be honest and look at what we've done too, time after time after time. Often the Lord is saying, come back to me, come back to me. Despite his people's failure, despite them living in disobedience, despite their fruit being bad, he still says in the midst of this all, Verse 7, you are the garden of my delight. Despite their failure, they are still the garden of his delight. He delights in his garden and its creation, despite its failures. And he delights in his garden by doing what's best for it. Verses 5 and 6 says, now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'm going to take away its hedge, its protection, and it'll be destroyed. I'll break down its walls, protection, it'll be trampled. I'm going to make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The father's delight in his garden prompts him to do what is best for it even though it seems like it's not. I mean, think of that. When we think what is best, take away all the protection, allow the land to become uncultivated, allow briars and thorns to grow, allow rain not to come, actually cause rain not to come on it, that does not sound like the recipe for I care for my garden, I delight in my garden. But yet, this is what the Lord is saying. Because time after time after time, the garden of his delight did not respond to him the way he responded to them. The fruit was not produced the way he longed for it to be produced. And so he delights in them so much that he allows there to be extreme difficulty. We'll see this in John 15 in this whole concept of pruning, cutting back (laughs) even what's good so there can be more fruit. And the dead branches, throwing them in the fire. Why? Because he delights in his garden. The Father delights. Even though his people and we, even though I fail, Here's how he shows his delight. In all of those things, he, he could have just stopped right there. But he does something incredible. The father delights in his garden so much that the father gave Jesus for his garden. 
He gave Jesus for his garden as the true vine for his garden. Now, listen, John 15, when, when, when we read it, we're like, oh, that's a cool little, whoa, that's not the right slide. Anyway, all right, we're going to go back there. When we read John 15, I am the true vine and the Father is the gardener, we're like, okay, cool story. This is really nifty. Jesus is making a nice little allegory, a nice little metaphor. That's wonderful. But listen, when Jesus said, I am the true vine, all of his disciples were Israelites. They would have been going, okay. We've heard this language before. Wow. This is big news. We're the garden of his delight. If you're an Israelite, you're a descendant of Abraham, the promises of God are for you. You know and you hold on to and you celebrate, I am part of the garden of his delight. I am part of his vineyard. You're also saying at the same time, things haven't been going so well. We're under occupation right now by the Romans. We want deliverance. And here comes Jesus On the night before he is crucified, he tells them, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. What they would have understood, and what we need to understand is this. Because the garden, the vineyard, did not produce the fruit that the Father created it to produce, he doesn't scrap the whole project. He sends his best. He sends his son, God in the flesh, to step down into the messy world and to be the true vine. To be to the Father what he intended his vineyard to always be. A people that produced good fruit. A people that lived in dependence and obedience upon the Father. A people who said, we receive your delight in us. And we will live in relationship with you. See, the true vine, Jesus, lived completely true. That's why he's the true vine. He lived completely true to the Father in absolute dependence and obedience. He lived not under his own power and strength, but he lived listening and doing only what he heard the Father saying and only doing what the Father did and lived empowered in his humanity by the Holy Spirit. He lived perfectly what God created his vineyard, his garden, Israel, to always be. Jesus didn't live from He didn't live for himself, but he brought life to all that would come and abide. See, listen. The true vine produced the fruit that was intended to come by the garden, and he enables us to produce it as well. This is what God has done for us. He hasn't just said, because I don't know if, I, I don't know if, if you're like me, but if I had planted a garden or a vineyard and it didn't work out, if I was in God's place and it just didn't go, I'm going to go find another place. I'm going to go plant another vineyard. Well, that didn't work. 
Let's see if I can find somebody to sell this one to. I'm going to go find another one, and I'm going to go start over, and I'm going to do this thing again. But he doesn't do that. He sends his son to be the true vine because he delights in his garden. He delights in his vineyard. And not only does he send it to be his son, the true vine, to be everything in that way, but he sends his son to supply everything that his garden needs. If you're in Isaiah 5, just flip over a few chapters to Isaiah 11. It's a passage I encourage you to read, but it's so encouraging when you see verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Imagine this garden, this vineyard. Everything's been trampled down. It has turned into briar-filled wasteland. What exists are stumps. Stumps of vines. And out of this comes this little shoot that turns into this strong, fruit-bearing, true vine. Out of the stump of Jesse. Jesse, who is the father of David. David, who is the forefather of the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of this, God says, I delight so much in my garden, in my vineyard. Out of the stump, there's going to come a shoot. There's going to come a true vine. And this true vine is going to supply my garden's every need. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and he will delight he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will judge by what he sees, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Tell me if you would like to live in a place like this. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then that day, this root, the root of Jesse, Jesus, will stand as a banner for the peoples, and the nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. Past, present, and in this picture future, the true vine will be for the garden for us brought into that garden will be everything that we need. He's our Savior. The one who washes away all of our sin, who justifies us, 
and allows the Father to say and declare over us, you are innocent, free from all guilt. He's our sanctifier, the one who makes us holy and works that holiness out. He's our healer, as we sang this morning, the one who has purchased healing and the one who continues to heal us today. And he is our coming king. And this picture of righteousness and holiness and peace and justice and everything wrong on this earth being made right is what we have to look forward to. The garden of the Lord's delight was supposed to do all of this. The Lord didn't abandon them. He said, I delight in you so much. I send you my true vine. I send you Jesus. Because the Father and Jesus, they're the focus. So what do we do? As we come to communion, what do we do? What's our response? Our response is this, to come and abide in Christ. Come and abide in Christ. If, if you're in Isaiah still, one last passage, and that's Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. Our response, come and abide. In Isaiah 55, the encouragement is pretty clear. It's come to receive. This is the part of the story where it gets really good for the vineyard, for the garden of his delight. It says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and use your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will, what does it say? All right, we'll find out how many people are following along. And your soul will what? Delight. Your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Do you hear that? How much money do you have to have to get milk and wine and everything that you need? How much money do you need? None. Why? Because it's already been paid for. The true vine is paid for. Jesus has made the way, and he simply has now said, the Father has now said, come, you don't need to bring anything. Just come and hold out your hands. It's already been paid for. Buy, eat, drink, everything you need has already been paid for. Just come receive. Come receive. When we look at this passage more in John 15, it would be crazy for the branch to come to the vine and say, here, I'm going to pay to be connected to you. I'm going to work to be connected to you. No, it just says, the vine says, come, live off of me, and you'll bear fruit. Come. Come and receive. And when we do, our soul will delight in the richest affair. And we'll find life in increasing abundance. I love verses 6 through 8. 
the Lord just says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Friends, I want you to know something. We live in the day when God is near. We live in a time when God is near. And so let the wicked forsake his way, the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord to come to him, and he will have mercy and to our God, and he will freely pardon. And he has to say this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know why God has to say that there? Because everything in us goes, that's not how it works. Everything in us goes, that's not how it works. I have to somehow have some skin in the game. I have to do something. I have to earn this. I have to deserve this. I have to show you that I am worthy of this. <laughs> the Lord's already shown us. Because in the garden of his delight, it's not about the performance. It's not about bearing the right fruit. It's not about anything that we can bring to the table. It is all about him and us coming to receive because the true vine has come to do what you and I will never, ever, ever be able to do. In John 15, Jesus